0: Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary, genre bending debut novel, Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre order from your favorite bookseller. and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple, and I am very pleased to welcome Robert Dugoni. Today we're going to be talking about his latest, Her Deadly Game. Let's get right to it with Bob right here in The Thriller Zone. Man, I cannot believe how long, Bob, it has been since you have been on my radar. Oh, wow. Thank you. First, no, thank you for being on The Thriller Zone, by the way. Let me start with that. <clears throat> thanks but yeah, I I lit. I have been watching you from a distance for probably a year and a half. The show is a year, almost two years old, and I thought, yeah, this guy right here, this guy's doing it. He knows what he's doing. I, I want to get him on the show, and I tried a couple of times. And yeah, no, Bob's a Bob's a rock star. You can't get to him. So we're gonna. That's half. not true. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm kidding, but uh, anyway, the planets aligned and we're here, and I'm very excited. I'm, uh, I'm telling a contractor that I can't come to the door right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, First of all, we're going to be talking about this beautiful book. Uh, there's all kinds of little yellow stickies and highlights and all through here Because I'm like a kid uh, who's studying for an exam when I read. Uh, I read mostly for pure pleasure. But then I go back and I go, wait a minute. He said something here or he said this here. And how did he craft that sentence? And I just love that stuff.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I I kind of do the same thing. I, I read books sometimes, and I put a tag, and I think say to myself, wow, where did he come up with that analogy or metaphor? I was like,
0: blown away. Yeah, isn't it funny? As, as many books as you've written, and we're going to do a little bullet list here in a second, um, it's, it's really encouraging to hear a guy like you go, oh, that Captivated me because I hadn't heard it put that way or he crafted that sentence just a certain way it's magic isn't it
1: yeah it's it the, it's I'm, I really appreciate the craft you know i, I because I've studied it so hard because i I couldn't get published until I did uh, and so the people that really they hit it so well you Stephen King is a I'm a fan uh because sometimes I'll read a sentence he's written and it just it just amazes me
0: yeah. And the amazing thing about Steven is uh, how he does it again and again and again. I mean, and nobody's got volume of words like that guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he and you're right. It's just it's just constant. He's just bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's amazing. He's really amazing.
0: Well, let's let's keep the spotlight on you because Bob, uh, you know, New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and number one Amazon best-selling author. That that's in and of itself no little feat. Thank you. And I know uh, one of my little stickies here. We're, hold on a second, because I love this shit. Um, I'm like, what is what's Bob's recipe for success? So I'm reading it back in your um, acknowledgements. And I think you got it right here. Uh, I work every day. <laughs>
1: I, I do. and and I think I think that's really important. You know, people ask me all the time, what did um what did the law profession teach you? And I tell them it taught me how to put my butt in a chair every day and go to work. um i'm not I'm not one of those guys that, you know, works that's those are my dogs. I'm not one of those guys who works part-time. Yeah, and then suddenly, I really, David, I'm sorry, but I just realized I got to turn off the dog door. Otherwise, they're going to scare the workers. Go right ahead. No worries.
0: Looks like a good time to take a short break. We'll be back with more Bob Degoni right here on the Thriller Zone. Stay with us. Today's episode is sponsored by The Story Factory and the upcoming visionary genre-bending debut novel, Grand Theft AI by James Cox. In San Francisco, 2051, kids now get high-slotting wafers of data under the ear and they'll pay fat crypto for the best at the hottest club in the city, the Fang. Thief Baz Covain and underworld fixer Rhea Rose team up with a crack group of cyber misfits to steal from the Fang's psychotic kingpin, Otto Rex. But 1st they he'll have to hack into his mind and infiltrate his highly secure layer of physical and virtual firewalls. It's a score that could set them up for life, if they can survive before Blackhawks touch down with federal warrants for Grand Theft AI. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available for pre-order now.
1: The best thrillers, the filler zone. And now back to the show. The best best laid plans. I, I told these guys I can't talk to you uh, after 10 o'clock and when did they show up? 10.01. <laughs> so I, I apologize. Uh, really, I'm sorry. Um you know, I was saying, David, that I, I do, I go to work every day. And, and I take some pride in that, to be honest with you. Now, it's it's certainly not a, a, a chore because I love what I do. Sure. And I'm one of those few people that is really blessed to be able to make a living at what I really love to do. And, and I don't take that lightly or for granted.
0: I would love to start off the show because I just discovered this within the last, uh, probably last night or today. I love there's a story and, I, and it's, I wanted to ask how long you've been writing, and uh, t- in order to tee that up, I ran across a story that you're talking to someone about uh, a moment in seventh grade when you knew that you were going to be a storyteller. Would you share that with my audience?
1: Yeah, I would, actually. Thanks for asking me. You know, I, I fell in love with books at a very early age. I'm one of 10 kids. Um, my mom, I think, was just tired and beleaguered and She'd take us to the library because it was a place where other people would tell us to shut up. <laughs> um, and I fell in love with books. She, you know, My mom started handing me these great books like The Count of Monte Cristo and The Old Man in the Sea, and I was reading them at like 12 years of age. So when I got into the seventh grade, I had to write a, a, a speech on uh, slavery from the position of an abolitionist. And um, I don't know what compelled me to do it, but I decided to write it as if I was an actual abolitionist and... When I got up to give the speech, you know, everybody in my class just just sat there, stunned silence. And I like to tell you that my grammar school teacher, uh, a nun, gave me the finger. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the, the one where she curls her finger and says, come outside. You're in trouble. Yeah, I, I was shocked. I thought I was going to the principal's office and she took me to the classroom next door and it took me to the front of the class and said, give your speech. And I just knew at that moment. I just thought, "Wow, this is really cool. This this is I this is what I want to do. I want to write things that you know have an emotional resonance." And obviously, I wasn't thinking that in the seventh grade, but I, True. yeah, that's what I wanted to do.
0: Well, and it shows. I mean, I'm looking at your track record between uh, Tracy Crosswhite, a police series, the Charles Jenkins uh, espionage series, uh, David Sloan legal thriller, and then standalone novels, but. Then I think about awards and, you know, a lot of people get pats on the back or they win this, that and the other, but you won the Nancy Pearl Award for fiction. And here's one of my favorites. And and excuse me, I'm not laughing at it. I'm laughing at my ignorance a three-time winner of the Friends of Mystery Spotted Owl Award for Best Novel Set in the Pacific Northwest. And I thought to myself, now that is specificity at its best.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about that award. It it, it sure is. It sure is. Um, And uh, they're they're a great group, and they're they're great. They have these awards. I'll I'll be really honest, though. Um, If I won an award, I'd be very happy, but... That's never been the thing that kind of floated my boat. Um, you know, I always... I, what floats my boat is just getting the story out there and letting, letting people read it and, and then hearing from readers. Um, so, you know, it, it's great. It's a great pat on the back. But um, the real thrill comes when you, you start receiving very personal emails from readers who you realize were really touched by what you wrote. And that's something that I never expected in my life. You know, I, I never expected that really... And so, when that happens, it's very humbling. Uh, it's a really humbling experience. You know, somebody will tell you, we gathered around my brother's bed as he was dying from pancreatic cancer and read The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell to him. I mean, if that doesn't bring tears to your eyes as a, as a writer, I don't, I don't know what will. And, but I receive those kind of emails all the time. And to me, those are really the awards.
0: I just discovered that book. I, I apologize for not knowing about it sooner, but that was an early on book, and uh, I read the blurb on it on your website, and I thought, wow, what a what an extraordinary story! Uh, and of course, I've got to go dig into it now. So, thank you for adding to my stack. <laughs> uh, is it true? Did I read yet? Yeah, uh, has been adapted? To, is it being put out in Hollywood, or is that?
1: Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've had a couple of things. Um, the uh, the Charles Jenkins Espionage series is over at CBS Studios right now, and they're looking for a writer. Uh, the Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell was um, picked up by a really well-known um, woman that's now independent, used to be with Universal Studios, and she has a screenwriter that's working on uh, screenplay for it. And um, Tracy Crosswright is drawing uh, quite a bit of interest. So, you know, it's one of those things... People, I'll, I'll, I've heard people say, uh, you, "You take your, you take the check they send you, and you plug your nose because you never know whether the the, the film or the series is going to do the books justice or not." Um, so we'll see. You know, I I would love to see things get on screen, but I hope they get on screen the right way.
0: Yeah, I had a great a conversation with Mark Graney not long ago, and he he put it best when he said. Um, someone was saying, oh, they, they made a comment at a at a function and said, oh, man, I'm really sorry, Mark. The, the the gray man, the movie didn't really quite turn out like your book. And he's like, uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, f- <laughs> first of all, I thought it was great. Second of all, I wrote the book that I wanted to write. Hollywood gets to tell the story they want to tell.
1: And you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 100% true. Um, I heard Jeffrey Deaver when when they did The Bone, I think it was The Bone Collector. Or the- yeah. And, and and he was watching the premiere and there uh, you know, Denzel Washington's laying in bed and in comes this woman and he says, Who who is that? And he said, That's his sister and he went, He has a sister? <laughs> you know, and he, he wrote the book. So uh, I think you know, I, I, you're right. Storytellers have uh, get to choose what story they're going to tell, and television has its limitations. You know, sure. you, you know that screenplays are usually like 120 pages, yeah. and they're going to take a 400 page book and try to condense it down. And um, so it's a real art. It's a real skill. I've been asked multiple times, "Do you want to write the screenplay?" And my answer is always the same: No. Uh, I don't, because I respect the people that do that for a living. They go to school a long time to, uh, to um, uh, learn those skills. And those are not skills that I have.
0: Well, and it, yeah, it is quite a feat to go uh, take 400 and go to 120. But here's the other the side of the coin that I was talking to Mark about. And he said, you know, I think it was 2009 when Gray Man first circulating uh, in Hollywood. And he said, you just hand it over and you go, Hey, that sounds great. You know, whenever that happens, he goes, you have to, and I'm saying this as a reflection of, uh, where you are in the process. You just hope it gets done, but you don't really start spending those, uh, cashing those checks until it really gets done. Right.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, what I love to do is I love to write novels. I love to create yeah. stories. Um, I love writing standalones because it, it gives me an opportunity to bring up new characters. Uh, Kira Dugan in her Deadly Game, you know, new character, looks like it's going to be a new series. And I get to create her world, her family, her father, her sisters. And, you know, that's what I love to do as a storyteller is I, I love to create novels.
0: Well, <clears throat> I hope it has the success of Crosswhite because I've read where they have like 8 million books worldwide. And I'm thinking... Uh, you that doesn't just happen and the thing about this kira character is uh, that i love so much is that she is she's that classic combination of she's not hollywoodized over the top character like oh she's a superhero she's got the foibles like everyone else but that that family of hers that dysfunctional family uh it's one of those situations when you walk away You remember those characters and they live with you for a while. And I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to see what Bob's up to next so that I can see what's going to happen next.
1: Well, I I appreciate it. It's kind of you to say, you know, I don't often know. Um, I really don't. Um, Those characters, to a certain extent, come from personal experience. Um, I I had a grandfather that was a binge drinker and um, saw him at many family occasions where he was drunk. I saw what it did, how it impacted my mom and and some of her siblings. And so, um, you know, it was just it was an area that I kind of I kind of wanted to explore because, you know, as I've gotten older, um, I'm 62 now, uh, you begin to realize that everybody has something. It doesn't matter who it is. Whoever you meet, everybody has something, whether it's, you know, depression, low levels of anxiety, whether it's, uh, you know, family stuff going on. Um, none of us are immune so i always want to create a character that is multi-dimensional and part of that multi-dimensional unfortunately is the human experience which is the issues that we all have to deal with like my dog's barking in the middle of an interview
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey that's just life dude you know that's just life um I was amazed at I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here. I um I, at, without being Mr. Geek because uh, I'm pretty notorious for that. When I get excited about something, I just talk about it. I mean, if you if you don't like praise, then I'm in the wrong room, but <laughs> rarely do I read a book that is so well constructed and so thoroughly captivating right up to the end. But here's the funny thing. I read this, Bob, in three sittings, and the reason I remember it distinctly is that I get a book hopefully two weeks before we get the chance to talk, and if uh, if I can work it, in, I'll get going on it. And I had two breakfast uh, readings, and then I had to leave it for a while. Then I came down with a flu, and uh, so it was last week. Got up, woke up at three o'clock in the morning, could not sleep, and I ripped through the entire rest of the book by the as the sun was coming up. Wow. And I thought, you know, you've got something in your hands when you're in that situation, and you're like, you feel like crap, and you're like, this book is just taking me out of that misery. <laughs> 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 yeah. Took a long way to get to the compliment, but there you have it.
1: Well, I, I, I appreciate it. You know, I have a great, I have a, re- a great team, and I, and I'm a really, I'm a firm believer in allowing people to do their job. So I have a great copy editor. I have a great developmental editor. Um, I have a great agents. I always allow my agents to read the book first because they always have some insight into the types of books I write, the types of characters I write, and what's going to make them sing. And um, so I really believe in the process. And I'm, I just have a great team at Amazon Publishing. I mean, everybody is really good about, you know, um, helping me create the best book I can.
0: One of the things I noticed with this book and others that I've, um, looked into is the way you start your books because here you go. So I was so taken with this and I had not read any of your work before, even though I've followed you. And I think I followed you back from an old thriller fest, um, ITW in New York. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, So I'm starting to dig into your other books and getting a taste for all these different series so that I can, uh, you know, you can get on Amazon and you can see the first few pages. And I'm like, look at this. He does it every single time. And it's the way you start your books. And uh, I was trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's like I've shown up to a party that is already in progress and... And I'm, I'm in, and the, the party's going, and I'm just jumping in it. And what I mean by that is there's not all that, sometimes, not naming anyone, and maybe everyone does it eventually, but there's this uh, unnecessary preamble, like, like you feel like you have to give me a lot of the backstory before I get into the story. That's, you don't do that, and that's what I really, really dug about it. You just jump in the stream and get moving
1: yeah, I think it was beaten into me, to be honest with you. There was a a, a guy in my in in the eight in the agency, and he was actually the accountant, but he used to love to read my stuff. And he gave me a piece of advice once. He said, "Start forty pages later and end forty pages earlier. <laughs> and for real. <laughs> and yeah, and you know, it was really great advice because I have a tendency like everyone else, to write my way into a story, write my way into a character. And you don't need to know that. I mean, the reader knows intuitively that if a person is 42 years old when they open the book, they had a prior life. They had 41 years ahead of that moment that, that you know, and so your job is not to give them what happened 41 years earlier. Your job is to give them what's happening at that moment going forward, especially in a thriller. Because that's what a thriller's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to thrill. It's supposed to, you know, you're supposed to get into it. It's supposed to be action. It's supposed to be lively. And so one of the things that I, I really work hard on is going back and cutting all unnecessary stuff. It's not easy sometimes. It's hard. And again, that's where my, my developmental editor comes into play. She's very good as, at saying, do you need this? And making me, forcing me to think, do I need this? Does my, and really the question, David, is does my, does my reader need this? And if the answer is no, then I cut it.
0: Here's a to a curious thing. There's so many things popping in my head all at once. So I hope I can get them. So let's call this uh, 375. Uh, would you have any idea in your head, because I'm curious, because you just said this. Let's say that you, the first draft, the first draft that's the official first draft. How much do you suppose in that process, or from a Canadian friend's process, <laughs> would you? Uh, would you say... Uh, that was there, and you you got rid of it. So, how big was it as to before where it is now?
1: Yeah, so I would I would say that I, I do know, um, and I I know pretty well. I, I just got through writing a book. It's a it's a World War II story. It's a long story. I won't bore you with, but it's a World War II story. It was um, 435 pages, and by the time I got done with the edit, it was 405. I'm working on a book now. It's 430. I guarantee you, when I'm done, it'll be about 400 to 405. I, you know, it, it's, I don't know that there's any novel out there that I could write that would be of interest more than about 400, 400 pages, which is about 95 to 100 thousand words. So it's not anything I shoot for. It's just after 25 books, I have found this is where this is where the 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 cutoff is. So I, I, that's what that's how, what I would say, is I'm usually cutting about 15,000 words.
0: Okay, okay. And so your your ballpark is that 95 to 100. That's probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's always good to say, uh, good to know, because I, I'm always curious about things like that. And I always wonder, um, back to that point about starting out at the gate, um, I have often found in my writing, not nearly in the atmosphere of yours is that sometimes you'll you'll feel yourself oh, I'll just ramp up I'll ramp up until I get the motor humming and then you go back a couple of days later and you go why well, don't know if I just take that whole chunk and put it on the side and start here and if I really need it later I'll come back to it and you yeah. never do
1: <laughs> yeah no I, and I think that's I, I think that you're absolutely right and I, I do much the same thing when I write my first draft I don't edit myself I don't allow that editor to come into my head. I am, I'm simply writing uh, organically and I'm letting the characters talk to me and tell me what's happening. Tell me what they're saying to, to the point where you go back and I know you've probably done this. You go back and you read what you've written and you go, wow, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, yeah. I wrote that. Uh, you know, I surprised myself at times. Um, so I, I just let that, whatever you want to call it, I let that muse go. And then when I get, the story done. I go back and I look at it and I say, "Okay, what do I really have here? What's really this story about?" And that's when I dive into the the editing process. And that's a whole different part of your brain, at least for me, it's a whole different part of the brain.
0: And I was gonna say, isn't getting the uh, the the gentleman on your shoulder that's sitting there nagging, doing that little boy that really sucks, Bob. You might want to <laughs> rethink that. Isn't that the hardest thing in the whole world? Yeah.
1: Without a doubt, I mean, and i have done that. I have been typing a story, and the, I'm, the whole time I'm typing, I'm saying, "This is crap. This is crap. This is crap. This is crap. This is crap." But then, you know, again, you come back the next day and you go, "That's not bad. Yeah, that's, there's some things that I can work with." So I just—I just let it go. And I, you know, I tell people all the time, I just—I just let it go. Let you know, do your research, do all the research you think you need, then stop because we can all get caught up in our own research. But do as much research as you can, you know, and then let it go. Um, and, uh, you know, you you know this as well, I'm sure. After you've written a certain number of books, story structure becomes innate. You understand how a story is supposed to be told and the, those moments, those emotional moments you're trying to hit, you know, and, and how to end a chapter on a, on a, what not a cliffhanger necessarily, but something that's going to get the reader to turn the page. Oh, yeah. How to have an opening sentence the next chapter that's going to get them to keep reading. You know, you start to learn those techniques. I I often say to people, it's no different than golf. I mean, golf has all these different things, whether you're hitting a driver or an iron or a a wedge. Everything is different, and you just start to learn as you go, and hopefully you get a little better each time.
0: That is so, that's such a great analogy, too. And it's so funny, if you, let's say the driver, if all you're thinking about is crushing it with all your might, you know that you're going to mess up. Yeah, you're gonna slice it more often than not. But if you—and this is the hardest thing in the world—if you just go, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do something novel here, ding dong. I'm gonna let the club do the work. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and it is. It's, it's really hard because you just want to grip it and rip it, and it's yeah. the worst thing you can do. And the same thing with a book is you just have to let the story come to you. You know, Kristen Hanna wrote The Nightingale, and it was different than what she had written up to that point. She had written more of uh, romance-type novels, and The Nightingale was such an unbelievably great book. And I know Kristen, and I, I asked her, I said, you know, Kristen, where did you come up with this story? And she said sometimes great stories just fall in our laps and our job is to get the hell out of the way. Oh yeah. You know I really think that there's a lot of truth to that is you know stop trying to tell your story and tell the character's stories. Yeah.
0: Two things uh, are fighting for my attention. Uh, one of the best praises, you know, your 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 company puts out these great little blurbs that go with a book uh, for us. Author uh interviewers on podcast, and this was my favorite. I've read probably 50 quotes, blurbs, I should say, about your books, and Lisa Gardner nailed it. She goes, one of the best puzzle books ever. I race through the pages, which are packed full of compelling characters and taught gamesmanship. Desperate to learn the answer to this extraordinary thriller, which is both, and I love this, is both a who-done it and a how done it. Wow.
1: Yeah, isn't that isn't that beautiful? I was I was elated, really, really, and again humbled, you know, because Lisa Gardner has she's that's a woman that has got some real creds to her. So, you know, to receive something like that from her is really um, really heartwarming, uh, and it makes you feel good. You, you think to yourself you know, the, the book must have something to it, because I'm sure you go through those moments where when the book's just about to come out, you're thinking, well, is it really any good? <laughs> are they going <laughs> to like it?
0: <laughs> you know, one thing I cannot miss, because uh, hello, folks. Uh, are you Now, you you have to be a chess player, right? I am not. Oh, okay. Well, hold on. Let me absorb that a second, because... In this book, folks, and you'll notice by some chess pieces on here, a chess game is woven throughout the whole thing, which I loved. I have toyed with chess. I have attempted it, Bob. I, I'm not terribly good, but I appreciate the the um, the craftsmanship of the game. I love the uh, uh the, the theories behind it and the moves and the strategy. And I'm like, well, of course he knows chess because he's a former attorney. And and, and and an attorney really is just a great big chess game when you think about it. So he must be amazing. And then you got the pawn four to go queen seven, or I'm going to massacre that. And I'm like, brilliant. And I love the way that you weave it through on a simultaneous level, parallel.
1: Yeah, you know, so I I... Try to challenge myself on every novel like, like I wrote a Tracy book where every scene was in Tracy's point of view even though it wasn't in first person I want I and and you know I and I did so for this book just as you said I knew a lot of really good lawyers that were really good chess players and they would say to me I have to be prepared when I'm doing a cross-examination or when I'm in trial for anything that could possibly happen and playing chess, you know, you may have a game plan and you make a move and your opponent makes a move you did not expect, you're going to lose. And so you have to know what are the potential options. So anyway, I, I knew a lot of attorneys that were really good chess players. So this was a skill I wanted to give Kira because I wanted to show that she was both intuitive, that she was adaptable, that she ha- had all these great this great ability within her to move as she needed to move, given what the, 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 her opponent did. So I called up a friend of mine that ran a chess foundation. He put me in touch with a guy named Elliot Neff. And Elliot uh, is a grandmaster, used to live out here in the Pacific Northwest, now lives back in South Dakota, and just a really great guy. And I said, Elliot, this is what I'm trying to do. I wanna construct a, a case, an investigation and trial, that mimics a chess game. So the game in the book is a real game, and if people play it on a board, they're going to find that it is a real game, and it is actually premised upon a game that he played, Elliot played, in the U.S. Olymp- Olympic Chess Finals and won. So, you know, I just had a heck of a lot of fun doing it. It was, it was really, um, it was challenging, but it was really fun to do.
0: I knew. I knew that must be a real game because I'm like, if he's going to go to the D go to the extent of crafting this parallel universe of a game, then you know, it's going to be a legit and I won't ruin uh, the uh, giveaway here, but I love who she's playing and you don't know who she's playing for quite a bit of time. Now here's something, because this is the perfect place to insert this question. I'm having coffee this morning with my wife very early and we're talking and she asked, who's going to be on the show? And I said, Bob Degunny. And she goes, oh, okay. Uh, y'all, I've, I've heard you talk about him. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very excited about this. And she asked, what did he do before he became this writer? Because I showed her your website. And there's all these books. And she said, wow. I'm like, uh, an attorney. Oh, okay, well, that's cool. And then I said, somewhat rhetorically, I said, uh, how do you suppose it seems that uh, that uh, attorneys make such good writers? And we and she asked, yeah, why do you think that is? And we here's my take, and I want to see how close I am so attorneys from what I've read do a great deal of reading I mean like supposedly massive amount of reading both to prepare and to see what other cases perhaps align with the one that you're working on but the real magic and I thought about this and I love courtroom dramas God on television that's what I grew up watching I loved it so if you're approaching the jury and you have to summarize the case with intelligence and wisdom and a little bit of showmanship then you've got to be a great storyteller and there's my summation your honor.
1: I I think you're absolutely correct. Um, absolutely correct. The, I think the, the, the really good trial attorneys are the ones that can tell us a compelling story. Um, a lot of times, uh, you know, when I was trying cases and doing things, the facts got lost. And it was the story that you were able, able to tell. Um, having said that, I can also say that, uh, not every lawyer is a, is a good novelist. Um, and part of that is just, you know, the ability to, um, check your ego at the door and, uh, you know, uh, learn and, and, um, take advice and do all those kinds of things. So, um, I know a lot of great, uh, lawyers that, you know, are writers. Um, Phil Margolin is a, friend of mine and, and others as well, Scott Turow and John Grisham or, you know, people used to criticize Grisham until they started to realize, man, this guy can really tell a story. Yeah, He's, you know, he's, he's got great characters and he can tell a story. And, and that's what this is about. It's about being able to tell a story. Um, I don't, I don't consider myself a Pulitzer Prize winner, winning type of author, um, but that's not what I aspire for. Um, I aspire to write novels that are compelling and that uh, readers, uh, not only will they read them, but that they'll, when they're done, they will tell others, you really got to read this book. And that, that's that's really what I feel is my job.
0: Yeah. Well, two things here. Uh, Tammy said, her closing comment, my wife, she goes, uh, so is this going to be another one of those books that you say I've got to read? And I always have to go, okay, I know that she's only going to read a certain amount of books during the year. And it's going to be... I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is one of those you have to read. (laughs) But I'm thinking back to, you know, John Grisham is always the one that everybody quotes because maybe he's one of the first attorney writers that we discovered, and he had such a great selling books out of my trunk of my car story. But I'm thinking of, like, Bill Landay was on my show recently Mm -hmm. with an impeccable book called All That Is Mine I Carry With Me. Um, <clears throat> David Ellis, mm-hmm. look closer, uh, David Pepper, Joey Heartstone. These are all, uh, t- either current or former attorneys and they're just fantastic storytellers. So I'm just, I- I'm just amazed. There you go.
1: Well, I, you know, I think it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the show, right? Um, they know how to put their butt in a chair and go to work. Yeah. <laughs> You know they they know how to put in the time, and I think that's I think that's a skill that is often overlooked in novel writing. Is it takes a lot of time to sit down and look at a blank screen and say to yourself, "I'm going to fill 400 pages." Of you know it that's that's not easy to do, and I think um, you know I, I learned how to work hard, and I think a lot of lawyers are the same.
0: Yeah, I don't think I'm. There's very few careers, correct me if I'm wrong, that put in the volume of hours as attorneys do from everything I've ever heard, read, watched. Isn't that pretty close to being true? Yeah, because,
1: you know, what? one thing that, you know, everybody needs to keep in mind is is I heard it said one time that, you know, when you submit a manuscript to an agent, she doesn't get to her office and start reading from their slush pile. She gets to her office and she's handling all of her clients. And then in the off hours, she'll read the slush pile after she's tired, et cetera, to find, so it's the same thing. When you get to your office, you might go in as a lawyer, you might go in with a game plan and then the phone rings and you're totally off that game plan. You know, you're dealing with cases, you're dealing with clients, you're dealing with problems, you're dealing with this, you're dealing with that. Then when the day ends, you might go and start saying, well, I better look at my email that day. And oh, by the way, your partners are saying, where are your clients? Well, what organizations do you belong to that you're going to go to after hours, luncheons, dinners to try to drum up business? It's, it is. It's a, it's a tremendous amount of work. And, um, you know, like writing books until you hit, you know, that one book hits, uh, it's really difficult because you're, you're constantly working to bring in clients and, and get to get it going.
0: And it's funny. And I thought about this when I was reading uh, with Kira, I'm, you know, she's so knee deep in this case. And all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe uh, two thirds of the way in, there's a reference to, well, I've got to look at my other cases. And I'm like, Oh my God, wait a minute. You, you have to work on more than one case at a time. Then, of course, like, yeah, duh. And then I'm thinking, how do you, how does, back to your point you just made, how in the world in 24 hours and you're going to carve out a family and this, that, the other, how do you, how do you juggle those balls? I, I don't get it.
1: And, and a, a lot of, a lot of lawyers don't, a lot of lawyers can't. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what the percentages are, but, you know, I worked in a great law firm and of the top 10, uh, um, lawyers, all 10 were divorced. And, you know, I think that could be a product of a number of things, but I don't think that the, not the hours and, and the, the commitment helps in that regard. Um, I think there are a lot of birthdays missed, a lot of family events missed, a lot of sacrifices. I, and I can remember a lawyer telling me that he spent his Christmas Eve one time in, in the office preparing for a trial that he had the following Monday. You know, that's, that's, that's hard. It's really difficult.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Well, as we start uh, our way toward wrapping, to, I've got to make sure I get my points in. One is, um, 10 kids. What in the world was that like? I'm from four, and you're from 10. That must have been fun, circus. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it,
1: it was a lot of fun, um, and it's still a lot of fun. I go on trips with my siblings. Um, we have great times.
0: And I want to say a kudos, congratulations, a big old love and hug to your mom. I'll tell you what, moms make the world go round. I lost my mom five years ago, and she, like yours, instilled this love of reading in me to like just, instead of trying to bury your nose in other stupid things like television at the time, read a good book. And man, I salute moms who give us that encouragement to not only read good books, but consider writing good books. So-
1: well, I, I, first of all, my my condolences, and I say that because until you lose a parent, you don't know what it's like for people that have lost a parent. And I lost my dad 13, 14 years ago, and I can honestly say that I think about him every day. Now, my mom I'm even closer to, and God love her, she's still alive at 90. But you know, it's hard. Those those days, are. it's difficult. But those are some of the things I think that are in that well of emotion that we writers... Can dip into. Um, people have often ask me why do so many writers get successful at the age of forty or forty-five, and I say, "What do you? What What is really important in your life when you're nineteen and twenty years old that yeah. you can dip into and pull out and and have some revelation? I think you have to live life a little bit, and unfortunately, part of living life is losing some of the people you love.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like my buddy, Don Winslow says he was an overnight success at what, 54. So yeah, <laughs> I love that. Uh, and and here's a funny little thing. I, 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 um, little known fact, you and I are both born in February. We're both Aquarians. Okay. We both lost our father, mine in 88, yours in 08. Right. And I don't know, I know it. I read a, a blog that you wrote uh, about your father and i practically lost my shit because it was so beautiful and I thought about my I think about my father every week without fail and he's been yeah. gone since 88 and um so now having last lost uh, mom and dad it's amazing the way you look at life not to get heavy but it's you just gotta grab it uh uh anyway I, I wanted to say what this is what I wanted to get at is what's something powerful that your dad instilled in you that you carry out could be work ethic, characteristic of your personality, et cetera, that you.
1: Um, I know very clearly uh, I, um, I was with a publisher and I had another publisher come in and back a truck up and offer me a lot of money. And I was at home visiting and I was trying to make a decision on what to do. And my dad said to me, "Um, you know, Bob, there's something to be said for loyalty in life. And if you show loyalty, you'll get loyalty. And I didn't listen to him. And I went for the Brinks truck. And it was probably the biggest mistake I've made in my career. I should have listened to my dad because I, I have since come to realize how important loyalty is. And that's what I mean when I say I allow people to do their job. You know, if you're going to have a developmental editor and you're not going to allow that that person to do his or her job, you know, what does that say about you? Um, And so I've I've tried to be loyal in uh, in what I do. And uh, that comes from my dad. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Well, if I can share mine with, your, uh, yes. with you, he said, uh, and he always said this, because I was, whenever I got in a challenging spot, and my my first career was radio, so I was always hopping from market to market to market, and I'd always, uh, I'd fly home, and I'd, we'd go on a walk around the neighborhood on the beach, and I'm like, Dad, what should I do here, blah, 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 it's so much money, and la, 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 and he said, son, just follow your dreams, just yeah. follow your dreams, doing what you love. And everything else will fall into place. If you chase the things that you think are going to make you happy, it's not going to make you happy. And you know what? It was that thing that kind of ignited me early on. And I just knew, I knew then what I wanted to do. And I've always followed love. And it is, it's so, it sounds, oh, it sounds like something you'd read on a Hallmark card, but it's true.
1: Well, with your voice, I don't know how you could not do radio. (laughs) (laughs) You have one of those voices that people would die for. Do you oh. ever do, do you ever do books? Do you ever, do you ever do audible
0: books? Yes, I do. And I'd be happy to do your next audio book yeah. since you asked. Um, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love doing audiobooks. books. Um, all right. Uh, okay. And here's, since we're talking about advice, something in your book, in your acknowledgements caught my eye and it's a friend of yours, Doug Harvey. Yes. He was your uh, legal mentor. Yes. And he said, and it's just so, I love the way that you honor people, Bob. It's just, I know this is who you are. I can sense it. People, you can bullshit people about certain things, but the the essence of who you really are and how you leave the world with people and how you make them feel is key. And I, I know this about you. Thank you. Yeah. But you said this, you guys are talking at dinner and I think he's, yeah, he's, He's getting sick, and he's doing a winery. And he goes, Bob, nothing is guaranteed. If there's anything you want to do in life, do it. Don't wait.
1: Yeah, Doug was, Doug was an interesting man. Um, he was a hard-charging, hard-drinking, guy's guy, ball-busting lawyer. Yeah. I mean, this, he was just boom. And I saw cancer knock him down like I've never seen cancer knock down anyone including my dad. Uh, he and I was just talking to him one day and he was embarrassed because he had to find a bathroom. He was in the middle of chemotherapies and treatments and I was kind of helping him and you know he was embarrassed and I, and it was so unusual for me to see that in Doug. And as we talked that's when he said he said you know I had all these grand plans for for him and his new wife Jane and he was going to show her the world and they were going to travel everywhere and then he, he, got, he got sick. And um, you know, it's so true. And again, it's, not, it's something that you learn when you get older. Um, I lost my best friend at 42. He dropped dead of a heart attack. And um, those are the kinds of things in life that you remember and, uh, and hopefully you learn from. You know, my dad had melanoma and he died from it. And so, you know, I go to the dermatologist twice a year and I always tell people my dad kept me alive. And so, you know, you just, you learn from these things and it's, it's hard, but I think you have to respect and honor those people that really make those, those significant differences in your life. And Doug was one of those men for me. Yeah.
0: So powerful. Thanks for letting me go down that road. Mm Um, well, as I wrap, I always ask my guests, and I feel like I could sit here and talk to you forever, but I told you I'd try to get in and out pretty quickly so you can get back to your construction guys and your barking dogs.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> but I would love to hear your best piece of writing advice. And you've kind of touched on it throughout, even from the beginning of our chat, And but I know that you, and I know you've asked, been asked this a, a number of times, but- Man, I, I it's always how it is in my show, and my a lot of aspiring writers listen to the show, and they always go, man, what is, what's Bob going to say? Because, I mean, here's a guy who's done it. So I'd love to hear your take.
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty simple. Um, learn the craft. Lear, learn the craft. I mean, I wrote for the LA Times. Uh, I was a lawyer. I could write. But there is a craft to write in a novel, and there are books out there that can really help you. Christopher Vogler's book, The Writer's Journey. Um, learn the craft, study the craft, um, understand how difficult it is, respect how difficult it is, uh, spend the time you know to learn how to develop characters that uh, are, are rounded, and you will save yourself well at least three years of pain and agony, which is what I went through. And I think what a lot, like your friend Don Winslow, what a lot of us authors go through is we sit down and we think, I'm going to write a book. How hard can it be? Right. It's really hard. It's very hard. So I always say learn the craft.
0: Yeah, very well put. Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more, go to robertdugonibooks.com. Follow him on Twitter, as I do, at Robert Dugoni. Robert, thank you for the uh, love that you showed this weekend as we're doing a little promotion on you coming up uh, as we wrap March. So appreciate thank that. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. and I've really enjoyed it.
0: Me too and I I'm so glad we finally connected and I have a feeling I mean first of all this book Her Deadly Game is it, it I have to put it on the top of my list of books so far this year And it's not just because I got you on the show and I'm saying that. It is just such a riveting, because it's not just a legal thriller. I loved the way the family is woven through it and the challenges they're all facing and nobody's perfect. And it felt very un-Hollywood and that's what I liked about it. So again, yeah. And I hope to uh, have you back on the show again someday.
1: I would love to be back. Thanks very much.
0: once again to Bob Degoni and the book, Her Deadly Game. What a fantastic interview. So glad we had a chance to finally get together. Well, folks, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for your kind comments and your letters and suggestions. And also thank you for the growing number of subscribers to our YouTube channel. Very exciting to see people stopping across and joining us on the YouTube channel from all around the world. Feel free to drop us a line anytime you like at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. We love getting your letters. Also, feel free to stop by thethrillerzone.com, and there you can sign up for our newsletter and stay in touch with us all the time. So until next time, I'm David Temple, your host. I'll see you for another edition of The Thriller Zone.